0: So if you have your Bibles, open with me to Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1, and the theme of what we just heard will be the theme of what we will just begin to read of God's faithfulness to His people over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So let me read this from Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1. You have your Bibles, you can follow along and also be on the screens. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been without, uh, with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them home away hungry, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And so Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and he blessed them. And he said to all those um, that those should be set before them as well. And they ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up pieces that were broken, left over seven basketfuls full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately, he got into the boat with his disciples and went away. Dear Lord, we thank you. Lord, I know that our hearts can be in a lot of different places right now. There's a lot of burdens that we're each carrying. But these next few moments, Lord, I pray that your word would minister to us, as we've heard it sung, as we've heard it demonstrated through believer's baptism, or we think that your gospel brings comfort, it brings joy, it brings peace. And so, Lord, now as we open it, as we feast upon it, would we be nourished by it today? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your outline, you'll see the title of the sermon this morning is Jesus Feeds the Multitudes Again, right? And if you're, uh, you know, it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Mark. You may have thought, Mark, did you accidentally go back and are you preaching? We just talked about the whole thing where Jesus feeds the whole bunch of people, right? We've already done that, right? We need to move on. Jesus already fed a lot of people, right? You're reminded that Jesus feeds the multitudes twice. And so as you come to your first blank, you see the disciples faced a similar opportunity. I use those words wisely. The disciples face here a similar opportunity. There's some similarities and some differences to what the story that we last read about Jesus feeding the 5,000. You have hungry people listening to Jesus. And Jesus says that out of compassion that he needs to feed them, right? If he sends them home, that they're going to go home and they're going to faint on the way home because they've been with him three days listening to his teaching. This is not a quick little deal. They've been with him three days, listening to Jesus' teaching, and Jesus is going to finally send them home because if he doesn't, at some point, they're going to go home and they're going to faint on the way because some of them are living a far place away. So you see that they're out in this desolate place, and it's peculiar. I'm not going to lie. This is a peculiar passage. If you recall, just a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus feeding the 5,000. And you're very aware that Jesus has already fed the 5,000, right? We've already talked about it. He fed the 5,000, we celebrated, You know, we raised the roof, that was awesome, Jesus fed the 5,000, way to go Jesus. We're pumped, we're ready to go believing in the goodness of God, right? You all remember it. But apparently the disciples don't, right? You come to verse 4. Jesus saying, I, I, we need to send them away home. Uh, we need to give them something to eat. They're hungry. They've come from far away. And his disciples answered, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Anybody have an idea? <laughs> right? I mean, you, you read it and you're like, come on, guys. We like just turn over, you know, just remember just a few weeks ago, a few months ago, whatever it was, You watched Jesus break bread, feed the multitudes. There is 5,000 there. There's only 4,000 here, right? So you come to this and you begin to think, what's up? How are we missing this? Are we missing something? Is this the same story? And many commentators would even say maybe that this is supposed to be one story that Mark and Matthew split up into two just to show its significance, but that can't be the case because there's some differences here. And in the end of Mark chapter 8, Jesus says, do you all remember the time I fed the 5,000 and the 4,000? So Jesus himself understood this to be two separate instances. But still, are you not intrigued? At least a little bit to look at this and say, how? Disciples, how do you look at this? You see Jesus standing in front of the people saying, almost like the first time the disciples said, hey, Jesus, we need to give these people some, something to eat, right? And now Jesus is telling them the very thing that they said to him, hey, we need to give them something to eat. And you would expect all of us, if we were there, right, if we were there, we would have been like, Jesus, you can do it, right? Jesus, you got this. Remember what you did? But the disciples, somehow, in the midst of it, they say, how can one feed these many people? And our tendency this morning is going to say, are you disciples so dull, right? We're going to follow the same tendency of Jesus just to say, disciples, you guys are so dull, right? How could y'all miss this? Again, Jesus just fed the 5,000. How are y'all so dull and so unsharp that you miss all the things that Jesus has done, right? He healed the blind. He's made the sick to be okay. He's done incredible things with the pigs over the cliff. I mean, how do you guys miss this? And there's always when we get to those points, we need to look inwardly at ourselves. Because our tendency is to say, they missed it. We will never miss it, right? The disciples, they're the dull ones. We don't miss this stuff. We're right on top of it. We don't miss it. The disciples did. But man alive, I miss it a lot. I mean, let's go back in history. Let's look at what uh, a little bit about what Russell talked about last Sunday night. Beautiful sermon on frustration. He talked about the Israelites, right? You have the Israelites in captivity. Jesus, our God, gets them out of captivity, right, by miraculous plagues. Right? If any one of those things were to happen today, you would begin to think, what is going on? Right? These things are incredible. Not something that somebody could just manufacture releasing a whole bunch of frogs from the zoo. Right? These are frogs everywhere. Blood in the stream, I mean, boils everywhere. These are like God-sized things, right? The people grumble. God releases them from captivity, right? And they begin to grumble when they get to the Red Sea because they begin to think, ah, he let us out to die. What does God do? Parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. At that point, you begin to think, the Israelites, they got it now, right? They're walking across on dry land. They've seen the plagues. At this point, the Israelites, they got it. They set up some stones. They begin to worship, and they keep going, and then they get hungry. You would think they would say, well, God's delivered us thus far. Surely he will again. Not the case. They grumble, they grumble, they grumble. Manna from heaven, praise the Lord. They go a little bit longer. They begin to grumble, grumble, grumble. What does God do? Rock, water to the overflowing. You would think at this point, they got it, right? Grumble, grumble, grumble. Moses goes up on the mountain. He spends a little bit too much time up there. So what do they do? They just say, God's been faithful. He's going to continue to be faithful. We're going to wait for Moses to come down. They worship another god. They melt down their gold and worship another god. You would think at some point, you would say, come on, guys. You've been released from captivity. You've seen the plagues. You've walked across on dry land. You've seen the manna. You've seen the rock, the water come out. And Moses tarries on the mountain, and you're going to start worshiping another god because he's too long on the mountain? Do you feel that? Do you bring it now to the disciples where they're coming in front of this huge opportunity? They've seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle, so much so that the book of John would record at the end that if if they were to write down every miracle that Jesus would do, volumes upon volumes could not contain it. And yet here they are facing a similar, if not almost identical, opportunity, and they begin to flounder. So look at this. There's much that comes up in my own heart just to think, how, how do they miss this familiar, perfect opportunity to exercise their faith? And in those moments where I want to point the finger, again, we, we point them back at ourselves to look at my own life, to see time and time again how often and how, how simple it is to fall into this lie of not trusting in the Lord to be brought with opportunity that he's demonstrated himself in the past and to be brought with an opportunity that is almost identical to these things and begin to think, I know God did it in the past, but this one's different. Th- this one's different. I don't, I don't know that he can provide peace in this situation. I don't know that he's going to comfort. And th- This one's a little bit different. This one's a little bit trickier, right? As I look back at my life, at Journals that I've written over time and looked at fork in the road kind of moments, moments where anxiety and fear begin to well up, I begin to have these same questions. God, I don't know. This one's hard. Yeah, I don't I don't know if this is the right move. I don't know if you're I don't feel it. This is tough, this is tricky. I don't know if you're gonna provide, Lord, how are we gonna make it? How are we gonna make it through the situation? How are we gonna make it through the season? God, I'm I'm nervous, I'm scared, Lord. I don't know if I can make it through this one. This one's tough. This is different than the last one, Lord, because this one involves this thing, and this one's harder. So as I see my handiwork, just in my own life, as I read my journals and I see those moments where forks in the road come up and you say, Lord, this one's tough. I know you did it back here, but this one's trickier. This one has that little difference, Lord. And I see over and 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 over all the time the Lord provides in just the right way at just the right time. And so what would lead to these? I'll give you two places in, in my own life that I would see that in looking at the disciples, we don't have a definitive. We don't really know why the disciples continue to miss what God is doing right in front of them. But I, I think one is just simply disbelief. I think at some level, the disciples had some sense of disbelief in them. We see that they don't fully understand until Jesus has resurrected all that Jesus has, all that he has done. And so I think in, in some small part, Jesus would call them dull, right? that they've experienced the goodness of God, they experienced Jesus' miracles over and over again, yet there's some part of them that is still hesitant to trust fully in all that Jesus is doing. So I think at some point, when we come to these opportunities and moments, there's a a part of us that struggles with disbelief. As we'll talk about soon, the, the man who comes to the Lord and said, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief, right? There's a part of us that comes to these moments and just said, I want to trust. I want to believe. But Jesus, I'm seeing with my eyes the multitudes out there. I'm seeing these problems in front of me. I'm feeling the grief and heaviness in my heart. Lord, I'm feeling it, and I know it's in my heart. So I I want to believe, but Lord, I just, I can't get there. Imagine the Israelites. as Moses on the mountain for too long. They begin to maybe feel, Lord, I know he's done all this stuff, but maybe this is where the goodness ran out. This is the moment in which God has left us. This is where he's, we're too far gone. He's left us. And so we got to go to other things, right? There's a part of us that just still struggles, myself included, with this disbelief that His goodness is good enough, that His faithfulness is trustworthy, that His grace is sufficient, that His blood has covered all of my sins. There's a moment in me, I think, that just struggles even still with disbelieving all that the Bible says about it. So we come to these moments and we think, yes, Lord, I want to believe. I want to trust. But this is hard. These problems are hard. These things are tricky. These are difficult. They're nuanced. And we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I I want to believe, but help me in my unbelief. And I also think there's a part of us that the more we move away from the Lord's goodness, the easier we are to forget. The further away the Israelites move from the crossing of the Red Sea where they set up the stones and the pillars to remind themselves of what God has done, the further away they move, the more time that goes between, the easier it is for us to forget. The easier it is for us as people just to forget the Lord's goodness. As I look back, and I I would encourage you, just as a practical moment of encouragement over you as people, can can I just encourage you to grab a notebook and begin writing down what the Lord's doing in your life? Whether it's a piece of paper, or whether it's on a computer, can I, in, in your family, in your personal life, can I just encourage you to, to grab a notebook, grab a binder, it's a great time. School supplies are in full order right now. You can go get a cheap notebook. And can I tell you, that cheap notebook will be worth more than almost anything in your home. If you will just begin to, to sit down and just say, today the Lord showed himself in this way. The Lord has been so good to us in this way. And so when you come to those moments where you say, Lord, I don't know if I believe, you pick up that journal. You pick up your word and say, here it is. I've seen how good he's been here. I've seen how good he is here. I've seen how he's acted here. I've seen his providence here. I've seen his goodness here. Over and over and over and over and over again. So surely when I've come to this fork in the road, Lord, I'm ready to walk forward in faith. But something happens. It's easy as we go to the grocery store and forget why we're there. It's as easy as for us to forget the Lord's goodness, his patience, His mercy, His grace, His love, and His providence for you. It's simple. It's easy. It happens naturally to us. We come to situations and circumstance. We can re- respond just like the disciples to say, what are we going to do? We're lost. Anxiety begins to well up in us. We say, Lord, we are floundering. We are lost. Where's the rock? Where's the water? Where's the food? Where's the man? Lord, we are lost. We are hopeless. And as sure as the Israelites, when Moses tarried on the mountains, it is easy for us to say, I guess God is left. I guess I need to seek out other satisfaction. I guess I need to seek out other stuff to provide and give me the things that I'm looking for. So the disciples face a similar opportunity, but let me give you probably one of the, the blanks that will go down in history as the most church answer in the history of the blanks you filled out, right? Number two, Jesus is the answer. Oh, gracious. I'm sorry. But it's true. It's true. Jesus is the answer. When you come to this, this is a beautiful, I cannot tell you how important this is, the most beautiful foreshadowing that you can see in scripture. The disciples answered him as he's talked to them about, hey, where are we going to get this food? We we don't have food. We're we're not going to be able to do it. The disciples respond, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? How, How can one feed that many? Do you see the beauty of the foreshadowing of the gospel to say, how can one feed the many? How, how is one going to be able to do all this? How, how can anyone feed all these people? How can anyone sustain and keep them and carry them? How can one do that? And at th- this moment, your gospel bell should just be ringing and say, we know, we know how the one can do it, right? We know the one, we, we know him, we've been worshiping him, we've been talking about this, we know the one. But just in case you're here this morning and you don't know the one, Let's go to Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous." Do You see the beauty in this, that one man, this Jesus, this moment that he is feeding the 5,000 is so much more than the feeding of the 5,000. This is showing us and demonstrating that the one would come to save us from all of our sins and satisfy us like nothing else ever had. The one. As the disciples say, who could do this? Who could possibly feed all these people? Jesus is saying, I'm going to feed you right now. There's a moment coming. I will be on that cross, and my blood will cover all of your sins, all of your need. It will satisfy you in ways that you never imagine. And so remember this moment, disciples. Remember this moment, church, that Jesus is the answer. It continues week after week to point us to the moment that Jesus would die on the cross, that he is healing the sick. He is causing the lame to walk. He is unstopping the ears of the deaf. He's healing the demon-possessed. He's causing the sick to rise up. And ultimately, he's calling the dead to come alive. You see, week after week after week after week after week, we're building on the truth of who Jesus is. He's not just a good man to live on this earth. He's not just a teacher or a prophet. He is the Son of God who has come to satisfy everything in us. He's come to make you whole, come to make you alive, which would lead us to the third point, that the crowd goes away satisfied. I want to stop for a moment because as Sarah was singing, I just wrote down a note that just it hit me like a ton of bricks because I feel myself getting frustrated at the disciples, at the apostles, that they would have the gall to come to Jesus and say, how can one person do this in such a desolate place? And I, I think if I was Jesus, at some point I would say, I need some new apostles. <laughs> right, you feel that? At some point you got to say, man, I need some guys who would have more faith. I need some guys who are finally going to get this thing together. I need some guys who are going to pull their weight. I need some guys who are going to be encouraging. I need some guys who are going to get it. I need some guys who are going to say, hey, Jesus, hey, go, feed, go do the bread thing where you break it and all the loaves come.' I mean, go do the thing, Jesus. I mean, do you feel that? that at some point Jesus would have to say, I need some better guys around me. But it doesn't seem Jesus feels that way. Do you see the patience of the Lord with his disciples over and over, even though they seem to be so dull, so hard-headed, that they miss it over and over again? Do you see Jesus at any point say, I guess I need new ones. I guess my grace has run out with you guys. You've missed it. It's over for y'all. No. He stays with them. He keeps loving them and caring for them, bringing them right alongside him, showing himself over and over to them to eventually, when he dies on the cross, they get it. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't throw his apostles away when they continue to fall short. And by golly, I'm thankful that he doesn't throw us away when we fall short. When we are so dull, when we miss it over and over, by God's grace, he doesn't just throw us away. By God's grace, it is sufficient for you, for us, over and over and over and over and over and over again. So the crowd goes away satisfied. As we've looked two weeks ago at Paul's thorn in his flesh when Jesus would say, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weaknesses. And this morning, I would encourage you, if today you are not satisfied, if you would feel much like the Israelites as Moses tarried on the mountain where you're saying, I guess God's not here, and so I'm going to go seek after satisfaction in this. I'm going to go seek satisfaction in drugs and alcohol and extramarital affairs. I'm going to go to pornography. I'm going to go to sex. I'm going to go to what money can buy. I'm going to go into what my job can offer. I'm going to go into all these different things. If I'm going to... God's not satisfying. The world's not satisfying. And so I'm just going to go seek after all these things that, again, do not satisfy. Friends, if you're not satisfied, if, you're, if you feel lost, if you feel hopeless, if you feel down, defeated, afraid, alone, downtrodden, downcast, beaten down, broken, i tell you that what we see in the whole counsel of God's word over and over and over and over and over again, as Sarah's saying, as we see and we realize from God's word, is that God desires to satisfy his people with peace, with comfort, with patience, with joy, with laughter, with with everything that we need to walk through this difficult journey on this earth. The crowd goes away satisfied. There's bread and abundance left over. All that ate were satisfied. And friends, all that would take hold of the Lord, you will be satisfied. And so as you go this morning, let me just give you this last final thought. As you go, look back with confidence and look forward in faith. Look back in confidence and look forward in faith. The tendency for us, as sure as we go to the store and forget our grocery list, as sure as we go into tomorrow and forget what we talked about here today, our tendency is to forget, to forget the goodness of the Lord, to forget all of his blessing and benefit in our lives. And so, again, can I remind you and can I encourage you, look back on your life with confidence. Remember the goodness of the Lord. As the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and they built an altar to the Lord to remember his goodness, friends, over and over again, we've got to remember. As you look in God's word, as you've seen his goodness to to encourage and help and strengthen believers throughout history. We can take confidence to take the next right step of obedience in our lives, knowing God's faithfulness in the past. So this week, let's go forward in faith, knowing that he would satisfy. As we come to forks in the road and questions that would arise, let's look back with confidence and let's look forward in faith. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. As the disciples looked to Jesus and said, How can the one feed this many? How can one do all this? Lord, we recognize that you were the one that would ultimately satisfy. You satisfy the needs of the four thousand. You satisfy our needs across this congregation, across this city, state, nation, and world. Lord, at times it it doesn't appear like all of our physical needs completely met to abundance. At times, it doesn't look like what we want it to or what we hope for. But Lord, it, you satisfy in abundance with your peace, with your strength. Ultimately, you've satisfied us who were dead in our sins and trespasses. You have made us alive. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God It's eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's the ultimate satisfaction that you've given us. So, Lord, again, we say thank you. We bless your name, Lord, for the goodness of who you are. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.